Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, software and tech giant Microsoft is pausing that major development of a project in Atlanta's Grove Park neighborhood. Now we're going to share what we know so far and what a spokesperson with Microsoft was able to share with me the earlier the day. We'll have that and reaction. Also, based on that, it could be a recession is likely, depending on whom you ask. But UGA Center for Economic Growth is forecasting how the recession might impact Georgians. We'll talk about that. Also, a $3 million grant from Morris Brown College. We're going to recap the long road back to being accredited. All that's just ahead, but first, let's get to this news regarding Microsoft. So bear with us. There is a lot. It's like a Microsoft mini-report. This was first reported by BizNow yesterday evening that Microsoft was putting the pause on developing what was touted as a massive campus on the west side of Atlanta in the Grove Park neighborhood. This particular project was about a 90-acre land development deal. Now, before we get to what a Microsoft spokesperson told me, let's go back, if you will. February 11th, 2021, Microsoft announces the investments of these projects, data centers in Douglas and Fulton counties, and developing that 90 acres in the Grove Park neighborhood. In an exclusive interview then with Closer Look, Microsoft President Brad Smith told me this. Why Atlanta? Why this region? Well, this was actually an easy decision. We've been here in Atlanta since 2007. We've gotten to know people here well. You know, we appreciate the the cultural diversity here. We appreciate that this is one of the nation's great business communities. For a tech company, it gives us the opportunity to literally be surrounded by great colleges and universities from Georgia Tech and Georgia State to three of the country's most renowned HBCUs in Clark, Atlanta, Morehouse and Spelman. It's a great place to do business. It's a great place to live. It's a great place for us to really put a stake in the ground and say, we're going to invest here. We're going to grow here. Smith also pledged Microsoft would embed itself in the Grove Park neighborhood, communicate with the community and would be committed to related to other related initiatives. Well, I think this is really the critical question that we are asking ourselves and want to talk with the community about for the 90 acres that we purchased at Quarry Yards and Quarry Hills. Uh, I think this isn't just land that we're buying. Uh, We need to be good stewards for the community, for the Grove Park neighborhood. Um, So our first principle is before we decide how and what to build on these 90 acres, we need to really talk with people who live here. We need to get lots of input. We need to make some decisions in collaboration with each other. And we know this, we can't just take these 90 acres and build some office buildings. Mm -hmm. We need to think about the community as a whole. So one of the decisions we're announcing today is we'll dedicate 25% of these 90 acres really 
to uses by the community, to the building of empowered or affordable housing, uh, to the construction of things like a grocery store, a pharmacy, mm -hmm. perhaps a skilling center. Um, this needs to be a place that serves everyone and not just say the people who come to work in office buildings there. And so many times communities in particular neighborhoods, particularly in Atlanta's west side, have been promised so many benefits. And some have worked out, and in other instances it has not. You wrote in your blog that this would be part of phase one. When you talk about reaching out to the community, does that also mean not just listening to the city council people, but you really want to you want to invite folks who live legacy residents, you want to invite folks who are part of this community, not just to the table, not just for a seat at the table, but to have their input. You're making that commitment. I think that is such an important point. I mean, I, I see this everywhere in the country. I, I always worry. It's just so easy for a big company, you know, to come in and, and you can actually have good intentions, mm -hmm. but you can execute them badly. And you know, the key to success is actually listening to everybody. Of course, it's important to listen to the city council. It's also important to listen to the principals in the local schools, to talk with school teachers, to talk with the leaders of local churches and really find out what people need. We are excited because one of the things that Microsoft will bring here, I think, we hope, is an opportunity to connect people with more of the kinds of digital skills that are becoming important for every job doesn't matter what you do. And so that will be one piece of, of what we'll focus on. That's something that we can do, say, with, with local schools, with the local colleges and universities. But it's really just one example of the breadth of the kinds of conversations we want to have. Now, back to that conversation in February of 2021. And to be fair, to be very clear, and I said to President Brad Smith, look, what you can't control, the market, the economy, at the time, he could not foresee any potential future problems. But this data center and everything else that comes with it will be developed. Do you have a timeline? Do you have any concerns that it could be hindered at all? Well, one of the things that is, I think, a key to our success at Microsoft you know, as a company that you know, has been you know, it really at the forefront of technology since we were founded by Bill Gates in 1975 is always to take a long-term view. So we're not thinking, we're not even asking, what does this mean for the next quarter or frankly, even the next year? This is all about the decade ahead and even beyond. I mean, for us, we hope that all of you will want us to stay because we want to be part of this community for the rest of our lives. So let's get off to a great start, but let's really think about this as an opportunity to do something, to create something that we want to last. Well, We'll have to wait and see. That is from February 11th, 2021, my conversation with Microsoft President Brad Smith upon the announcement then of developing, as, along with those data centers, a massive campus in Atlanta's Grove Park neighborhood. Now, I talked with a Microsoft spokesperson earlier today. We had a very nice conversation and was told the company is constantly reevaluating its global real estate footprint against, quote, how our employees are working today, focusing on creating density across our existing offices. And that has led to the decision to pause the planning process for this 90 acre project on the west side of Atlanta. I was told also this does not mean the door is shut. The land is not for sale. The intention is still there for setting aside 25% of the land for community needs. I'll be very clear about that. They said the intention is still there. 
They are moving ahead with the construction of three new data centers in Fulton and Douglas counties as planned. Now, closer look reached out to Governor Brian Kemp, Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens, City Council Member Dustin Hillis, because he represents Grove Park. Now, from the governor, Kemp's office were told that this was not a state incentivized project, but he caused the job losses in the area unfortunate. He also went on to say that uh, Microsoft's decision, albeit we should note that they're not pulling out, but he says Microsoft's decision, he believes, is because of a negative economic policy coming out of D.C. In a statement to Closer Look from the city's press secretary representing Andre Dickens, quote, The mayor called Microsoft leaders yesterday to express his concerns on the recent developments, particularly as they relate to commitments made of hiring Atlantans at the funding of a revitalization study for the Donnelly-Hollowell Corridor. The 2021 announcement of the campus had economic consequences for the surrounding communities. This announcement of a delayed development creates uncertainties, and the mayor wants to ensure that Microsoft fulfills the commitments it has made to our city, close quote. We'll have more as we get it. Stay tuned to WABE. This is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. That is your Microsoft report. I'm back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Well, let's talk about the recession. For months now, economists, depending on whom you ask, well, they've been predicting a 2023 recession. Some say it won't be bad. Others say, yeah, don't worry about it. In fact, one Wall Street analyst said the financial crisis could be worse than what we saw in 2008 and 2020 and more like an economic downturn that we haven't seen since the 1970s. There were gas shortages then. What does this mean for your home, your job, and your money in 2023? We are not going to tell you what to do, but we are going to ask someone who is a lot smarter in this area than I am, of course. From jo- uh, joining me to discuss Georgia's financial forecast is the director of UGA's Selick Center for Economic Growth, Jeff Humphreys. We've spoken before. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Ah, it sounds like you are orbiting the Earth. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you very well. All right. This is the 40th anniversary of the Economic Outlook by your department. Um, let, let's just back up a little bit. You've been down this road before. Do folks tend to panic or there's reason to panic when we start hearing that R word, recession? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about recession. I do expect that the post-pandemic economic expansion is going to end in 2023 and that a very mild recession will begin. I believe the 2023 recession will last about six months, which is very short. On average, post-World War II recessions have lasted about 10 months. You know, a recession is not inevitable, but would take near perfect monetary policy plus a lucky break to avoid one. I, th- I just think it's going to be very difficult for the Federal Reserve to cool down the economy enough to contain the highest inflation in 40 years without triggering a recession. When it comes to cooling down the economy, I mean, you look at this jobs report that just came out earlier today, and some folks would say, yeah, it's great. And others say, if you're the Fed, you're like, ah, this is not what we wanted. Well, the labor market is very, very strong, and that's one reason I think the recession will be mild. Unlike 
recent recessions, this will not be a job loss recession. In fact, for the labor market, I do not expect Georgia's unemployment rate to rise above 4%, and 4% is considered full employment. Right now, we're barely above 3%. We may get to maybe 3.8% when all is said and done. So again, a very mild recession, and Georgia is going to fare far better than the nation during this recession. And some parts of Georgia will escape the recession entirely. Now, someone listening says, okay, well, you know, Mr. Analyst, let's back up a moment. It's not going to be a labor-related recession. What kind of related recession are we looking at? Why are we here? Well, there are three reasons why I'm expecting a recession. The first is tight money due to extremely high inflation. If you hit the economy over the head enough times with interest rate hikes, eventually it falls. And the interest-sensitive sector of the economy feel the brunt of that. In fact, the housing industry is kind of the canary in the coal mine when Mm -hmm. it comes to recessions caused by Federal Reserve policy shifts. And housing is already in recession. It was in recession most of last year, and we're main in recession all of 2023. So it's interest-sensitive sectors of the economy that are going to hit hard. Housing, real estate development, non-residential construction, the financial sector, Mm -hmm. logging, wood products industry, uh, building materials manufacturing. Those sectors are at risk. When you hear that, a, and this is major news in the Atlanta area, that the software and tech giant like Microsoft it says they're pointing to some of what's happening with our economy as the reason, as they put it, they're also reevaluating all of their their global you know, spaces. They're reevaluating the footprint that they have here. Any surprise then that an announcement like this comes from Microsoft to pause a major development here? But also, too, considering that they just laid off, what, 10,000 people, so maybe it shouldn't be a surprise. Well, no layoffs in Georgia, really, to speak of by Microsoft. Sure. But, you know, when the economy slows and recession risk rise, it's not unusual for uh, a few economic development projects that have already been announced to pause or to at least slow in terms of their build-out, plus you know, it's well known that tech overexpanded in the immediate wake of the pandemic mm-hmm. and is currently self-correcting, particularly given the recession risks are rising. Now, you know, nothing has fundamentally changed in terms of the reasons why Microsoft chose Atlanta. All of those good things that brought Microsoft here will be here on the other side of the recession. Mm-hmm. So I would not be at all surprised if this project eventually does build out perhaps not at the scale as quickly as originally announced. But but Georgia is still a great place um, to do business. We have, for the last three, four, five years, Georgia's been set, setting record after record in terms of, of landing large economic development projects. And that's one of a number of reasons why I think Georgia will not really get hit very hard by this particular recession. Well, let's stop there and let's uh, dissect that a little bit further because what is it, so with, with Georgia having, you know, depending on who you ask, someone say Georgia didn't really have a lot of consequences other than, I mean, for the first consequences obviously of the pandemic are deaths, the lives that were lost, but also too, you look at the restaurant industry, which suffered tremendously. Also, folks who are not returning to certain jobs, um, 
pre-pandemic, you say Georgia may not suffer. What what are those metrics that you're using there to, to determine that? Yeah, we there are a number of reasons why I think Georgia will um, better weather the 2023 recession. I'm still predicting a recession for Georgia, mm-hmm. but just not as steep as for the nation. One of the main advantages is what we've been talking about, the enormous number of economic development projects in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Most of those projects will build out and will add jobs and will offset job losses in industries where we're losing jobs. Mm-hmm. The second reason is that I expect Georgia to get more leverage than most states from higher new vehicle sales. I expect U.S. auto sales to increase about 15% in 2023, which is a very unusual forecast for a recession year. The explanation is simple. Many folks that wanted to buy a car could not do so last year or the year before because not enough cars were available. Many cars kept their Many people kept their cars longer than they would have liked. The average car right now on the road is 12.2 years. Mm-hmm. In other words, a lot of cars at the end of their economically useful lives. I've got two of those cars in my driveway. So we're going to have a good year for vehicle manufacturing. And the nation's automobile manufacturing industry is becoming increasingly concentrated in the southeast And Georgia's had great success in landing new projects. Another reason Georgia will do well compared to the nation is our transportation distribution and logistic industry Mm -hmm. is going to continue to grow. It is a cyclical industry, and growth will slow, but it's not going to stop here in Georgia. Another factor is net migration. Our population dynamics are very good. We're going to see population growth as about double the national average. And that's very important when the labor market is as tight as it is right now. I think it will remain tight on the other side of the recession. Like I said, the weak spot is housing and the real estate industry. But several metro areas are going to do very well in 2023. Savannah is a good example. Athens is a good example. Brunswick is a good example. All three of those metros will not experience a recession. Well, that's great for those areas. Let's talk about that that one intersection you mentioned, which is housing, because if we have more folks moving here, this population growth that you talked about, okay, perhaps they're moving here because of economic development, which you just touted, and vehicle manufacturing, EVs here, although Rivian stock prices, and I got a text from a friend of mine that's ready to just, you know, curse out Rivian, but anyway, so you got electric vehicle manufacturing and manufacturing, and you mentioned transportation and logistics. That's great for those areas, but, you know, Atlanta, let's be, I think it's fair to say Atlanta is the economic, one of the economic engines of the state. If housing is an issue, then where are these folks going to live? Because not all of them are going to have those jobs that can meet the housing. That's why the, yeah. Go ahead. Yes, I understand your question. That's why this recession, this housing recession, is going to be very different from the Great Recession and what happened to housing then. When we get on the other side of this very short recession, housing is going to remain in short supply. So housing is going to contribute to the recovery from this recession fairly quickly and much more dramatically than it did in the wake of the Great Recession. We're going to go through a a recession in um, the housing industry, particularly single-family residential, mm-hmm. because mortgage rates have more than doubled 
Plus, we've seen a huge run-up in home prices, which has, have made housing much less affordable. In fact, if you look at home prices in Georgia, they're about 46% higher than they were prior to the COVID-19 recession. Inflation during that period of time was only 14%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do the math, and we've seen a tremendous increase in inflation-adjusted home prices. I do expect home prices to decline in 2023. I think we'll see about a 12% drop in home prices. That's still going to put people well ahead of where they were before the pandemic began. All right. When we started this conversation, you told me unless there's something miraculous that happens, DEC would stave off this this recession. Uh, What could that be? Well, there are a number of both upside and downside risk. If you look at the reasons why the economy may do better than expected, is that we could see, for example, geopolitical conflicts ease quickly mm-hmm. in positive ways. There could be a good, quick resolution to the war between Russia and Ukraine that would bring down energy and other commodity prices. It would improve supply chains, would increase confidence. You know, I'm hopeful, but I'm also realistic realistic and therefore i do not base my forecast really on that mm-hmm. that possibility another upside potential is that the federal reserve mm-hmm. threads the needle perfectly and that we achieve a soft landing for the economy again i'm hopeful and that is possible but i don't think that's the most likely outcome and i actually see that the downside risks are pretty much balanced by the upside risk And there are some downside risks for the economy. I think the main downside risk is that inflation is higher and more stubborn than expected, which leads to even more restrictive monetary policy. Mm -hmm. A second downside risk is that we see a larger energy price shock, perhaps due to broader military conflict, perhaps due to terrorist acts or natural disasters. Sure. Given the tightness of global energy markets, I'm really concerned about next year's hurricane season in the Gulf of Mexico. Absolutely. And then for some of us, we're just going to watch those egg prices because to me, that is a great indicator of what's happening with our economy. UGA Silic Center for Economic Growth, Jeff Humphreys, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it as always. Good conversation. You're very welcome. And, it, and and from Atlanta, from let me do that all over again. It what a long morning from WABE in Atlanta. This is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Thank goodness it is Friday. All right, let's talk about before we talk about the Battle of the Bands a bit later. Let's talk about a, a school that had a pretty but pretty good band back in the day. And Atlanta's HBCU Morris Brown College. Well, guess what? Perhaps maybe one day we'll see the band back together again. They're celebrating a major milestone as it continues its comeback journey. Now, there were some financial problems. That's, a, I think, a nice way of saying it. That led to the loss of its accreditation back in 2002. The college is getting nearly now $3 million in federal funding for academic programs and to restore a historic building. I don't know if Martha Dalton's going to ever write a book about this, but if she did, I'm curious what the title would be because she's going to take us through how all of this began and where we are now. So it's welcome, WABE education reporter Martha Dalton. Welcome. Thanks, Rose. It's great to be with you. Uh, what would the name of the book be? 
Uh, how about the long and winding road? There how does you that go. sound? There you go. <laughs> it might already be taken, but <laughs> absolutely, it uh, Martha. Let, let's uh, take our listeners back because I wasn't here at WABE, and I don't think you were either. But I remember covering this nope. back in two thousand and two, and then this has been a, a long and winding road. How does a school lose its, in this instance, how does a school lose its accreditation? Well, there was some corruption involved. So the the number one and number two at the school um, uh, ended up pleading guilty to fraud, financial fraud. So uh, so that didn't help. And then the school filed for bankruptcy, um, lost its accreditation, as you mentioned. Um, so, you know, it has been a long way back. For those 20 years where the school was unaccredited, what really kept it alive were alumni and mm-hmm. the AME church. I mean, that's really what kept Morris Brown in business um, because the number of students dwindled to, you know, a couple dozen students mm-hmm. eventually. Um, but then, you know, in came Kevin James, you know, the president now. Um, and he had a vision for Morris Brown. Um, his priority was accreditation. I think it's important to point out that during those 20 years when it, the school was not accredited, um, you know, the leadership was really just kind of keeping it alive. They, they didn't even apply for to get mm. accreditation back, you know. Mm. Um, so when James came in, he said, you know, that's my priority is accreditation because he knew that could open doors. And when you're accredited, you can qualify for federal financial aid. Um, you know, Morris Brown had lost that ability for 20 years. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people were skeptical when when Kevin James came in, because it's one thing to say, oh, we're going to get accredited and we're going to, you know, boost enrollment. and We're mm-hmm. going to do all of these things. Um, but, you know, he he was able to get it done. He had kind of a different vision and he instead of applying to the school's uh, former creditor, he applied to a different one. Um, you know, he was able to get things done in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what he told me recently about, you know, coming in like that and uh, trying to fundraise without being accredited. To be honest, a lot of corporations, they would ask me the same two questions. They would say, are you accredited? No, we're not accredited. How many students do you have? Oh, we have 20, 30 students. Oh, we can't help you right now. Wow. Yeah, so he knew that he had to be accredited. He had to get the school accredited um, to really get anywhere, and he did it. Martha, I I know you just mentioned it, but I think for our listeners to to understand, when you are not an accredited institution of higher learning, the bottom line is you get no federal fund. You're not eligible for any federal funding. How do they track your progress? What are they looking for? Do they send, like, investigators in, or how does that work? Oh, you mean to get uh, in the accreditation process? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, right. They they do exactly that. They go through um, all of these different sort of review processes, you know, where they send teams to uh, the school and then they have you submit certain financial um, uh, paperwork and that kind of thing. Um, and so there's there's a pretty strict process for how it how it works. Um, but, you know, uh, other schools have done this. Um, you know, Paul Quinn College in Texas lost its accreditation and then did something similar to what Kevin James has done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there is a way back, but it's just it's not easy. And I think Ke- Kevin James knew that. I mean, he knew it wasn't going to be an overnight kind of thing, but um, but he stuck with it and made sure that the school got accredited because without that, it's really hard to get other types of funding. 
And Martha, we should know because everybody knows, I think, that college presidents you know, of, of colleges and universities, they get a pretty nice salary. This was not the case for, for Mr. James, was it? Right, right. When he came in, that that was not the case. Um, but I think, you know, that's going to change. <laughs> um, I think he deserves he, a little raise. <laughs> yeah, he he certainly is um, someone with a lot of energy. Um, I I have questioned whether or not he sleeps much at night because um, he always seems to be on the go raising money for the school. Um, but I think something else that's important to point out too, Rose, um, a lot of people have asked me when Morris Brown was not accredited during those 20 years, you know, why would a student want to go to a school that's not accredited? You know, um, it's one thing to be a part of uh, the AUC, you know, with that HBCU community when you're an accredited school. Um, but uh, but why would anyone want to go to a school that's not accredited? And one thing that that some uh, alums have told me is that, um, you know, in some cases, just having a college degree mm -hmm. could get you a pay raise at work or something like that. Um, you know, so pe people could get degrees there and could, you know, find it useful. Um, but it's just in terms of the school's long term survival, uh, it probably was going to be tough to keep the school going without accreditation. And, and Martha, going back to Kevin James for a moment, he actually then started to say, look, let's change maybe the focus on some specialty courses or curriculum. What did he tell you about that? And then we'll play a clip. Sure. Um, well, like you said, uh, he sort of focused the school on hospitality, um, a couple of different majors. I think they have a music major and a few others right now. Um, and it, so it seemed to me like, the school was going to be sort of a different school, a, sort of a specialty focus, like you said, but maybe a smaller school. You know, right now they have 270 students. Uh, he wants to get that up over 400 in the fall. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, there'll be a smaller kind of like specialty school. Uh, but like you said, recently he told me, oh, no, he wants to get enrollment back up past where it was at its peak, which was 2,500 students. So here's what he said about that. It is my goal that Morris Brown is the Cornell University for hospitality for HBCUs. We're the only HBCU in the state of Georgia that has a degree in hospitality. And then, in fact, we're building a $40 million hotel on the campus where students get hands-on learning both in the restaurant as well in the hotel. They're going to go out into uh, the workforce with all the skills that they need to be able to compete. And you know what's interesting, Mar Martha, because I don't want to take credit for this, but I actually told him this some years ago when he was sitting here. I said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to have some specialty courses. And I've heard this from other folks that said this might be the future for those HBCUs that have some some challenges that, you know, you don't have to offer everything. But if you can offer at the core what we see in terms of trends for, you know, certain uh, populations and communities that have an interest in, that could be your your go to. Well, right. And and I think that he apparently took your advice, Rose, because um, <laughs> he hit. He has been able to secure um, not just this $3 million grant for the school, um, but, you know, a lot of private partnerships. Um, they have an esports program. I mean, he's been able to really get people to invest in his vision for the school. And I think, you know, sure, being accredited now really helps. 
Um, but he he just has some instincts, mm -hmm. I think, you know, about about what direction to take the school in. And, um, you know, he formed this kind of um, alliance with uh, Senator Ossoff um, while he was a candidate. So there was no guarantee that, you know, that now Senator Ossoff was going to become a senator. Mm -hmm. um, this happened while he was in a tight, a really tight runoff with David Perdue. David Perdue had gotten more raw votes in the in the general election. There was really no reason to think you know, that yeah. that Ossoff would necessarily win. And uh, Kevin James had asked him to come to Morris Brown on a campaign stop. And um, and Ossoff did. He uh, he promised him that if he were elected, he would be at his fingertips and um, and he was elected. And uh, so he you know, he's secured this money now. And it just seems to me like Kevin James has some instincts that that maybe um, maybe might seem odd if you're you know if you're betting on certain things you know if you're looking at uh, him saying well this guy isn't guaranteed to win a Senate runoff but he <laughs> he he's taking a, a risk right he's he's betting that he might so um, so I think he has some instincts that have end up be benefiting the school that maybe other people might think are strange and three million dollars means a lot look every little bit helps any right. idea what this three million dollar grant will go towards so most of it will go toward academic programs um, including a new teaching and learning center um five hundred thousand is earmarked to rest to help restore fountain hall you know that historic building mm -hmm. on campus where uh web web du bois mm -hmm. had an office um, now, the entire restoration for Fountain Hall will take about $30 million, so there's more fundraising to do. Um, but uh, but I think, you know, uh, the leadership is well aware of that. So the entire project will likely take a couple years to complete. Um, but, you know, nobody's going to turn down half a million dollars. Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Who plays Kevin? Who plays James in the movie? I mean, we got to write a script oh, wow. on this, Martha. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'll have to think about that one. Well, this uh, is... they—they'd have to match his energy for sure. <laughs> so, is it safe to say Morris Brown College is back? Um, we're... Well, you know, they're definitely rebuilding. Um, the accreditation was, you know, a good first step. Um, I think it remains to be seen if if they're they're back yet. Um, they're certainly their enrollment numbers aren't up to where even you know Kevin James would like them to be. Um, and he did also mention, and I think it's important to point out that a big part of their sort of revival uh, will also be uh, an online piece. You know, offering online learning to students. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I think it's you know it's definitely off to a good start. Um, I don't know if they're quite where they want to be yet, but. Mm -hmm. um, Hey, listen, I think it's a mistake to underestimate Kevin James. Absolutely. And Martha, you and I have both covered institutions, whether they're public or, or high school or college, have had issues, districts that have had issues with accreditation. And so this is a great story so far. We will continue to look for your great reporting on this. By the way, did y'all know that Martha used to be a teacher? I always say that. Martha, I would have, if I was in your class, a little Rose Scott, what you had, what are you, fourth grade? What was your grade you had? Uh, oh, yes, I did teach fourth and second. Can you imagine fifth. having a little Rose Scott in your class? Uh, um, I'm having I'm having trouble with Rose Scott in my class now. I'm having having a little behavior problem, I think. WABE education reporter Martha Dalton. Always good to speak with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Rose. 
And Closer Look continues now here from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. I want to let's play for a minute. This is skill. This is talent. This is sound. Let's let it play. Let it play. Now, this is Alabama State University's band, the Mighty Marching Hornets. This is their rendition of Erykah Badu's Don't You Know. Now, if you want to hear more, you can. Uh, the Mighty Marching Hornets, well, they're just one of six historically black colleges and universities that their bands are going to be fine-tuning their sounds and routines, gearing up for the HBCU All-Star Battle of the Band. This annual event is taking place this weekend at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And we are going to finally... During this next 14 minutes, we're going to, on this program, tell you what is the best HBCU marching band that I'm going to run and hide. Joining me now to talk more about this, uh, to talk about the largest HBCU marching band and dance dance team competition is the event's founder, Tom Grabowski. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Hey, Rose. How are you? Thank you so much. All right. You get the question first. Go oh, ahead. man. That's, oh, Because they're going to send you your emails. What oh, is the go man. ahead and name the best HBCU marching band in the land right now? Man, I'm, I'm going to have to punt that one back to you. I've, I've, <laughs> I, I can't show up the stadium if I do that. <laughs> I, hey, I'll tell you this, though. Seriously. Yeah. Those those students are the most underrated or overlooked kids on campus. I don't think anybody realizes it. They practice no exaggeration over five hours a day. So if you're looking to hire a hire out of college, I would hire these kids because, I mean, their work ethic is over the top. They're also taught leadership. I mean, the life skills they're taught, right? Le- leadership, time mm-hmm. management. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 amazing. It's and I think and the best ambassadors. I could go on and on for the schools for sure. Absolutely. And if you don't know, folks, if you ever see an HBCU marching band, just let them pass. You do not break the line. If you if you break the line, you're on your own. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, you all had to take a pause, obviously, for COVID. How is important that this is back and, and everyone's excited about this? Oh, I, th- I think it's it's awesome and important that it's back. Atlanta's been our home, uh, you know, going back 18 years ago. So we're thrilled to be back. You know, COVID kind of set everything, you know, off, everybody's mm-hmm. schedule off. So, uh, yeah, we're we're just thrilled to be back up and running. And, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting. We have a great show. We have an awesome lineup. Um, and this year, so we've got Alabama state, we've got mm-hmm. Bethune Cookman, we got North Carolina A&T, we've got Norfolk state, South Carolina state, Tennessee state. And then for the first time ever, 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 uh, we've got two high schools coming in two premier high schools, Pebblebrook high school and Westlake high school uh. and, the, and the band directors, you know, that was something when we were all kicking around, they said, hey, h- how do we go deeper into the community? And, you know, these schools recruit from those high schools as well. And and these band directors have, you know, come out of these band programs. For our listeners who may not understand, when we talk about an HBCU marching band, it is a, it's a different landscape. It's a different feeling. Not to say that Ohio State's band can't get down. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. you know, or, or Michigan or, you know, yeah. <laughs> get these emails coming but let's just be really clear but it's just, it's something different look let's be really it's, clear about that um it's very very different that's right how do you describe it, folks hey tom why should i come check out this battle of the bands what am i gonna see uh, i'll i'll say you'll see uh music like we've never heard i mean again it goes back to painstaking preparation right so you're gonna see and hear the best um you know 
if you think, you know, you talked about the big schools, right, Ohio State or Michigan or somebody, right? When you talk about those schools, you say, okay, what's their brand, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Their brand is football, right, if you think of those schools. Well, you think of HBCUs and you think about what the brand is. The the brand is really the marching band, right? You think about any of the schools, Alabama, A&T, you go to, you know, Norfolk State, Tennessee State, anywhere. And, and the you know, the style of music is, you know, they changed music, you know, marching band music, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back, back in the day, right? I mean, everybody was still kind of playing that traditional music and, and they, they, you know, brought some some real meaningful culture to it. Yeah, and, they, they started playing Parliament Funkadelic, some Earth, Wind yep. and Fire, Jackson yep. 5, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Yeah, that's... With style. With style. With style. And also, too, to yep. understand, when you talk about these musicians... And if you look, I think the movie Drumline is a great movie because, look, these kids are skilled musicians. They've got great leadership. When yep. there is this battle of the bands, and it's a competition. Um, what are the judges? What are they looking for here? Well, he, he, the, the unique thing about, you know, uh, the kind of the battle of the bands, I think there's a little misconception in there. It's more of a showcase than a battle mm-hmm. uh, in the past. So. It's really uh, uh, an exclusive invite only. In the past, we've we've gone through voting processes, uh, we've and and we've gone through just a number of ways of, of selecting, you know, the bands that come in. So, in other so, words, the fact that you might be wearing a Bethune Cookman sweatshirt doesn't indicate that this was, <laughs> and you're not wearing a Bethune Cookman sweatshirt. I'm just saying, somebody yeah. out there is saying, well, "Hey, how come FAMU's not here?" Or you know, where you know where is uh, Jackson State? You know, because. Anybody goes to Jackson State will tell you that they're the best band ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> and and uh, but I, I think I have to we, we've got an all star lineup. I mean, we re- really, really do. And and, you know, the band directors, I'm, I'm humbled because they, you know, put a call in saying, hey, we're we're cranking back up. And man, they're like, we're in. You know, we're in. We're in. But there is a winner, though. Right, Tom? Come on. There there actually is not. No. I would say there's there's fan favorites. Right. So we don't you know, at the end, hand somebody a trophy saying, okay, you're the winner. And and that's where, and most of these, you know, quote unquote, battle of the bands, you know, whether they're at, at any of the big classics or some of the other ones that you hear around, they're, they're more of a showcase and, and it's, and they're, they're, they're playing for the crowd. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, there are a, there is a fan favorite, so to speak. Right. So um, we sell that, you know, we're at Mercedes Benz stadium. So we are the largest by by a long shot, right? As mm-hmm. far as uh, the venue we're in, and uh, and we've got sections. We sell it by sections, right? Meaning school sections. So you know, Norfolk State's got their section, South Carolina State and Alabama State. So a lot of alumni come in, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you'll get a lot of shout outs uh, depending on you know what 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 school you're in. Why do you do this time? Why have you been involved all this time? Good. Good question. So I have been, believe it or not, on HBCU campuses for 32 years. So now, I would not I, believe that, Tom. You get, Now, I started when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, right? I, I don't look the part, for sure, right? They what say, does that mean, you don't look the part? <laughs> they said, what's this old Caucasian guy doing with a, on, on HBCU it's campuses? Is white folks on HBCU campuses? <laughs> there, there are, there are. <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, heck my kid, my kids grew up on HBCU campuses and loved it. Um, and, uh, so anyway, so it's, you you know, I got involved years ago. The very first Mm -hmm. thing we did was the CIAA tournament and, and, 
you know, and I'll tell you what, after that first tournament, uh, we were hooked. I mean, I've done sports marketing my whole life. I've done, you know, NFL, NBA, uh, NASCAR for 16 years, um, et cetera, et cetera. And there, there's nothing like it. It's, it's unique and, um, and, and very special. And what resources, and particularly from a financial standpoint, are you all able to give back to the schools? I know there's a college fair as well, but, as well, but what else are you all able to give back yeah. through this event? That, great question. So, um, kind of give you a, land, a little bit of landscape, right? So Norfolk State this year uh, went to the Rose Parade, which, you know, again, is is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. But when you go, most people don't know, when you go to the Rose Parade, you're paying 100% of your of your bills. So all your travel, all your per diem. So just one of these bands, it the hard cost alone is about $120,000 for us to bring a band in. Mm-hmm. So then from there, so we pay all expenses, 100% per diem, bus, hotel, everything. And then on top of that, they get a, a $22,000 scholarship grant. So that, that's net, that's theirs. And um, so it's it's pretty significant for them, you know, because a lot of times if they travel or if they go to an event, sometimes expenses come out. And this that's not the case. So. With um, with their performances, they all get the same amount of time. Do you give them a theme? Yeah. Is it you know you say, look, the theme this year is Wakanda. I don't know. I just threw it out uh, there. No, that's no, that's a good question. Um, you know, they're they're as creative as they can be, right? I mean, the, these band directors are just you know over the top talented as far as music goes. So we we they get they have twelve. Everybody has twelve minutes, and they it's we leave it up to them, um, and we don't we don't. We don't. We talked about theming it. It's a good collaborative effort because we do work with our band directors to mm-hmm. say, "Hey, what what makes a good show?" And they, you know, that's why they said this event is unique because it is in this venue. Um, you know, the kids are treated. We try to treat these kids uh, the best we possibly can. We give them, you know, uh, some premiums, and you know, sometimes we'll have sponsors come in and they'll they'll kind of kick in that premium bag for these kids and. Um, so it's, it's, it's unique and it's fun. You sure you don't want to take the last minute we have left to go ahead and say, Rose, this really is the best band ever. <laughs> Boy, you're putting me on the spot. That's what you? I do, Tom. That's what I, I do. know. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I, I, and this is no joke. I mean, every band is unique in their own way. I mean, they really, really are, but you, you're talking about also large numbers of bands and which mm-hmm. is, which is, which is awesome and amazing. Our education reporter, Martha Dalton, is still with us. Martha, I can see you. You want to go ahead and pick a band? (laughs) Oh, gross. How dare you? How dare you? Martha, I loved loved the interview. I loved hearing, uh, uh, because we did have a chance to uh, talk to Kevin James. And you're right. He is, you talk about energy. I just want to plug into him. Holy cow. (laughs) I mean, he is amazing. And what he's doing there is, and and I love it. You're right. the, The whole you know, focus on hospitality and then what he's doing with the esports, which mm-hmm. esports is like crazy over the top. So I, it's just, you're right. He's got a, a, a gut for uh, understanding where things are going. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say the best band is <laughs> yeah. Oglethorpe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All I right, see, Rose. So- that's right. Then we need to put, Ro- who, all right, Rose, you got to pick it. Who's the best? Yeah, Rose. So, so Tom and I get to be on the spot, but not you. Okay. Right, right. Here's the thing. I have friends, like one of my closest friends, a good buddy of mine. And Martha, you know Christian. You know, she went to Jackson State. If I don't say Jackson, Jackson State. State. She, but also, I worked over at Clark Atlanta. 
you know, uh-huh. yep. you know, and 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 look, I have folks that that went to fam you, yep. you know, yeah. Uh, so I'm just gonna and say, which a- is it? Which is yeah. it, Rose? Oglethorpe. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, she, they're all fan. They're, they're all fantastic. Uh, I think the band that was in Drumline was the best ever. The made up school. And, and and real quick, I, but we we also at halftime have the Atlanta Drum Academy, and uh, James Riles was in the movie Drumline. Yeah. He also helped choreograph it. So we've got, he's bringing 50 of his best drummers. So it's going to be exciting. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both for taking time as always. Tom Grabowski, founder of the uh, HBCU All-Star Battle of the Bands competition taking place this weekend at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. also want to thank Martha Dalton for coming in at the end there, having a good conversation. Thank you all so much for taking the time. Going to play a little clip of North Carolina A&T's Blue and Gold Marching Band. All right. All right. There you go. Yeah, thank you. Oglethorpe, best marching band. Closer book, <laughs> closer look. Oh, I'm having a day today. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. I'm tired, y'all. Microsoft had me busy. Closer Look is produced by LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Rezell, and Pat St. Clair. Tiffany Griffith is our supervising producer. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. From Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts.